Hi, Susie. Today's episode is called Closers and Fred. We're going to ask you, what is Closers and who is Fred? <laughs> That's a good one. Well, Closers is a town in, uh, in the mountains of Switzerland, which is a very chic place now. But at the time, it was also a very chic place, but it was not known, you see. Everybody used to go to St. Moritz and Gestad to go skiing and to be seen. You know, this thing about being seen. And so they would go to St. Moritz and they would stay at the best hotels and, you know, very wealthy people. And they would go to, to Stad and be seen and they're staying at the best hotels and, and the beautiful houses. You went there because you wanted to be seen, right? So, no, no. I, I mean, to Stad. To Stad. No, yeah, one, one would go there to, to be seen, let's say, yeah. or whatever. Or if you had friends, you'd go to the house and stuff like that. But closest was just not on the map yet, you see. Yeah. It wasn't on the social map. There were a lot of famous people living there, very famous, but it was all very quiet. So nobody knew about it, you know. And I was there, as I said in the last podcast, I was there because I went cooking. I went in a cooking job for this, for this petrol company. You know, I learned how to ski. I mean, I didn't know how to ski. I knew how to ski a little bit. But it's during this process, one of the people that used to go to closest was this man called Fred. I used to always just call him Fred. <laughs> But he was the Count, the Count Frédéric Chandon de Briaille, a very good title, and he was a Count. And he was, as he named himself, Le Roi de Champagne, the King of Champagne. Mm -hmm. Because he's the owner of Mouet de Chandon, at that time, Mouet de Chandon was still a private company that hadn't made any fusions yet. It hadn't, mm -hmm. it hadn't uh, come into contact yet with... Uh, with uh, the, the, the cognac um, company that they, they later joined, and uh, neither had it gone into the suitcase company that they later got into. That, that became a big, huge business, no? Mm -hmm. and, and, but it was already a huge business because they had a lot of, of uh, companies. It wasn't a conglomerate. It wasn't a conglomerate. No. So, yeah, it was still so. a, uh, yeah, it was still a conglomerate. And also another thing was that they never did publicity. They never did advertising. Their publicity was always word of mouth, events and things, and they were always present in places. Now, for instance, every car race was sprayed with uh, Moët de Chandon champagne, always. And that was the whole thing of winning it, of being on the podium. It was to get the bottle of champagne, shake it and, you know, let the thing go and spray everybody with the champagne. That was a big thing. If you didn't do that, you just hadn't won. You know, it was, <laughs> it was part yeah. of the thing. So anyway, he used to go to Closters to ski. As I mentioned, the other, you know, the, the royal British, the British royal family used to go and ski there. The, the Spanish royal family used to go and ski in Closters as well, the Bourbon. And, you know, a lot of other famous people went to ski in Closters, but nobody knew about it, you see. And so Fred went to ski with his mistress, which is, you know, he was, she was a seen mistress, not a hidden mistress. <laughs> I rather like that. I think it's rather funny. Only the French can get away with it. Claude Claude Deleuze. And when you have a D, a D, and a, and a name, it's also a title. No, it okay. means you have a title. Yeah, you're upper, 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 upper range, no? Upper she was a very lovely person, a very, very lovely person. And she was a journalist who used to cover things for Women's Wear Daily. She would always write, you know, fashion things or whatever, whatever little things that she would, it would occur to her. When she came with Fred to Closters and then they came across me, 
she thought it was rather funny, this thing. So she wrote a few lines, you know, the cooking model uh, goes, take over, takes over closers or something like that. It was quite amazing, actually. And, um, and so three lines came out in Women's Wear Daily, and they were seen by the owner of Women's Wear Daily, who was John Fairchild. Mm-hmm. And John Fairchild was always keen to find out new stuff, obviously. And he said to her, well, what, what, what's, what's this you've written? You know, explain a little bit. So she must have explained, you know, this girl who's a model and you're very young <laughs> and, and whatever. And she's going to model for, she's been modeling for French Vogue and she's cooking in, in Switzerland in Closters. And so where's Closters? I've never heard of it. Oh, well, this is a very nice place. You know, lots of famous people. Go back to Closters and cover it. Cover it. I want you to cover her. I want you to cover everything she does. You know, <laughs> and more, of course, because not necessarily all that came out in the magazine, everything I'd done. But anyway, the magazine, it was a, just a newspaper. It was a daily newspaper that came out every single day with relation to fashion. You know? Fashion and jet set and all that kind of thing. Of course, the jet set was also something that was born then. It didn't yeah. exist before, the, the jet set. So we, we were sort of part of the jet set. It will be fun. It will be fun to know where that word came from. I'm I'm going to Google it. An international social group of wealthy individuals who frequent fashionable resorts. But who invented the word? (laughs) The word. Yeah, the name is great. You know, the jet. Well, it says here, journalist Igor Cassini in the early fifties. The journalist Igor Cassini coined the phrase jet set for a similar group. One wealthy yeah. enough to take advantage of the new commercial airliner and ex- expensive quick flights. As air yeah. travel became accessible to more people, jet set began to be used much less often. Yeah, so it was yeah. because like the people that could travel, like where, where well, yeah, whenever I mean, and wherever. I mean, Every airline had obviously first class and a very short area of first class. The business class didn't exist. Yeah, you went first class or you went tourist. You know what I mean? Didn't, yeah, business didn't exist. You know, didn't exist. That was invented afterwards. But uh, but the jet set were obviously a bunch of people who also had private jets. Yeah, this is this uh, is what it, it says here. It came from the lifestyle of traveling from one stylish or exotic place to another mm-hmm. via jet plane. So right. it could be yeah. yours, or it could be like another. <laughs> well, somebody else's jet, maybe. Yeah. But you, you know, well, you didn't refer to the jet set as, as necessarily being anybody who flew first class on a plane. No, I mean, it was more. It was more than that. The jet set was really the top top notch. You know, the Niarcos or Nazis. I mean, people oh, yeah, had of course. private planes, and of course, Fred he had a he had a private plane. Anyway. To get back to the subject of closters, she wrote this note and he said, go back and cover it. And so she came back. They came back to cover it. I hadn't gone anywhere. I was just, you know, doing my cooking job in, in closers and spending all my money in Barbara Mullen's shop <laughs> because I really like to, to get my stuff from there. You know, every time I, every month I would go to Barbara Mullen's shop and pick up something else. It was fun to wear. So anyway, I was just there cooking and then they came back to cover me. So everything I did, they covered, you know, it was like, what do you wear? Where do you eat? What do you, who do you see? Uh, voila. And so, and then this, this uh, article came out. In the meantime, French Vogue had called me again, this time 
to, to, to propose that I go on a trip to Indonesia, quite a long trip. It was about a three-week uh, three trip to Indonesia. So I, I, I said, oh, well, yes, I would be marvelous. And, and I hung up and I thought, oh, God, I hope they pay me this time. Because they never paid, you know. They, they, would, they would use social people for all the fashion pages, very beautiful people and stuff, and put their name and bingo, that was it. You know, they didn't need to pay. You don't need to pay a millionaire. <laughs> uh, but, but obviously I suddenly thought, well, I'd like them to pay me. So anyway, when they called back, because this was by phone. This was no, there were no, there were no iPhones or anything like that. There was no mobile phones. It was all by telephone at that time. So then I waited for the call again. And so they called again because I didn't have the number. And then, and then I slipped in, you know, we're going to pay me. And they said, oh, yeah, of course we're going to pay you. Okay, well, that, oh, that's fine. When, when do I go? Such and such a date. Perfect. Okay. So, and it was just perfect because it all coincided with the end of my job. Do you remember uh, how much they paid you? Oh, I think it was about $50 a day. It was peanuts, you know. That's what they paid. No, but $50 back then, it's like more. Oh, maybe, but still, it was still not much. <laughs> Because you, you, could, you could do $2,000 a, a fashion show. $2,000? No, yeah, of course. But I mean, like, it's still, it's money. Like for modeling? Well, I don't know. In Peru, it's, it's fine. <laughs> yes, I think, yes. I, I think in here. <laughs> <laughs> in Europe, it's peanuts. In the States, it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, of Mind course. You. Yeah. So then I, in fact, I went to Paris. I rented a little, because I said to my father, I think I'd like to live in Spain. And he said, no way. No, 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 no. You can't live in Spain. I can't, you can't go back to Peru. You can't live in Spain. And, and then I said, well, then I'll go and live in Paris. And he said, yes, you can go to live in Paris. I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to live in Paris. So I went to Paris and I rented a flat in the Quartier, uh, not the Quartier Latin, it would have been perfect, but I went to, in the 16e arrondissement, this quite nice, airy flat with lots of light, way too much light, in fact. And it was tiny and I felt very uncomfortable and I rented it and I didn't like it one bit. And I mentioned it to Fred because I saw him in Paris. And then he said, oh, no, no, don't worry about that. You know, give that up. And so I did. But then I went off to... Indonesia, on the trip to Indonesia. And when I got to the offices of uh, French Vogue in Paris, I walked in and they said, my goodness, I mean, what's going on here? Because look at this article in this newspaper, this daily newspaper, American daily newspaper fashion thing. They usually rip people apart. They usually speak terribly badly about everybody. And they're here they're talking wonderful things about you. Oh, what is this? You know, I said, well, I don't know. But they, they just came and covered me in clothes and stuff. And I said, well, look at this. And she sprawled the thing in front of me and opened the, it was a double page spread in the middle of all these photos and things of Susie here and there with all these people, the same people and stuff, no? And so, well, that, that caused an impression with Vogue as well, of course, no? And um, anyway, Always, your name is getting more and more known in the process, of course, because what Women's Wear Daily publishes is read by a lot of people, a lot, a hell of a lot of people. And so again, they'd see my name in Women's Wear Daily. And in fact, after that, John Fairchild always had somebody on my tail. Always. I, if I went to Indonesia with Maurice Hogenboom. He had organized the trip. He was a very good photographer, but a very good friend of Yves Saint Laurent. And he'd organized the trip and proposed to the French Vogue this trip in Indonesia. He knew people in Indonesia. 
He knew the very, very top influential people in Indonesia. So he did a fantastic trip, actually. But I set off with him and nobody else. They didn't send makeup or hair, you know, just suitcases of stuff, just luggage galore and Maurice and myself. And so, I mean, I, when I, I started thinking about this and thinking, my God, who's going to, nobody to fix my makeup. I, I have no idea how to make up, you know, at that time. I mean, I was just a, a washed face girl. That's all. Anyway, well, when you have to learn, you have to learn. So it was just a matter of sorting out the stuff. And, and we did photographs. Amazing. We went to the most amazing places in Indonesia because, of course, Maurice uh, really knew where to go and had covered the whole thing beautifully. And he had the most influential people. And it was like we had to talk to the president of Indonesia and, and meet up with him and eat with the president and all this kind of thing. And then we ended up in Bali. And uh, Bali was amazing because in Bali, it like nothing existed in Kuta. Nothing, nothing existed on Kuta Beach. And on Sanur, this other side of, of Bali, the owner of the whole of the beach of Sanur was this man called Wiya Waboruntu, obviously Indonesian guy. Very, very nice. Boy, did he know everybody because <laughs> everybody who was anybody who had ever been to Bali had, you know, bumped into him, obviously. Because he had the Tangyung Sari, which was a beautiful, typical Balinese-style hotel done with exquisite taste. Really exquisite taste. The food was delicious. Totally Balinesian. Everything was totally Balinesian. At that time, you know, there were no, no thieves in, in Indonesia. There were no thieves in Bali. And the, 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 the structures of the house were sort of a little bit elevated. And then they had the, the, a, half, a half wall, let's say the height of a, uh, of a couch, the back of a couch, a high, a little bit of a high couch, let's say about a meter and a half, maybe high. And that's it. There were no walls. The temperature was perfect, of course. There were no mosquitoes, but there were mosquito nets on the beds. But it was a baldaquin. There was a baldaquin. It was a bed with a beautiful carved thing and, and the, the sticks. And the, it's a four-poster bed, a beautiful Indonesian-style four-poster bed with curtains, but, but more curtains for, for privacy, not so much curtains and mosquito net, you know? It was mm -hmm. just for privacy. You could just shut shut the curtains and they're a little bit more private if it felt like it. But, the, but there were no walls. And yet there was a beautiful Indonesian door. So you'd come up the steps to your room and open this amazing wood cart uh, with colors and things, amazing door, Indonesian door, and walk into a beautiful room with a very comfortable bed and all the beautiful furniture and everything. But no walls. No walls. Nobody came and stole in Indonesia. Nobody. There was, it was out of bounds. Nobody stole anything. And, and so we did the pictures in various places in Indonesia on, on the um, terraces where they grew the rice and wood. And beautiful places because everything is beautiful or it was beautiful in Indonesia at that time. And the women were carrying all these beautiful arrangements and, the, and it was all about offerings and uh, the religious, uh, you know, habits that they have in Indonesia. It was beautiful. It's an amazing trip. And, um, and we, Awaruntu, was so absolutely exquisite. He was amazing. And on top, in this area of, of Sanur, he had a, another place 
uh, uh, that he it was his private, where he had his private house and a lot of land where he, he would, if you were interested in buying a piece of land there, he would be your partner. You had to be, you had to have an Indonesian partner to buy anything. So you could invest with him because he was not going to, you know, rip you off or anything. And, and, uh, and maybe, you know, talk, of course, you had to come to an agreement with, with him about what kind of house you could build. And there were all kinds of different houses in this area that he had. Uh, very beautiful. No, no walls. There were no walls either to, you know, like this is my piece of land and you, and my, this is the edge of my piece of land and you can't come through. No, you could walk through one place and then through the other and the other. And, and it was all uh, open. It was not, there was no, there were no boundaries. You know what I mean? It was amazing. And that, that took about three weeks, the trip in Indonesia, you know, and then when I, I finished the trip, I said to Fred, you know, I, I'll probably be very tired. I think I'll go back to Closest to, to rest. Oh, he said, please do. I'll invite you. So, so he invited me, but he had a flat there. But he, he couldn't invite me to his flat, which was actually not a very nice flat, actually, because I saw it afterwards, of course, but I didn't see it then. But, but he invited me to the Chesa Grishuna, which is a very nice little hotel, which I loved, and everybody, I always went there to have drinks and food, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I stayed at the, key, the Chesa Grishuna, and he said, look up, look up my kids, because my kids are there with a nanny. So they were there with a, a very French nanny. And, uh, and so one day I thought, well, uh, why don't we, we all go to the discotheque tonight? You know, we can go early and, and have a spin and have a little bit of a dance and stuff. And so, and so the girl, the kids said, you know, but you have to ask the nanny. You have to ask the nanny. She gives us permission <laughs> to go out. <laughs> and so I spoke to the nanny and the nanny said, no, he peut pas sortir. And so I said, oh, I don't care what you say. They're going to go out with me anyway. <laughs> so I went and picked them up. And How old were them? Oh, they were uh, obviously much younger than me, but not that much younger because, I mean, I was uh, 17 by then. And, and uh, I don't exactly know how, what age. Paula must have been 13. Maybe he was 11, the son. <laughs> that, kind of, <laughs> that kind of ages, you know. Or maybe a little bit younger, 12 and 10 or something like that, you know. Anyway, so I took them to the nightclub. We had a little spin, a nice dance and everything. And I took them home, you know. It was very nice, very civilized and everything. And then, uh, but he, I think Olivier got a little bit hooked. Oh, it was very impressed by my cheekiness, probably, with the nanny. You know, I think that's what probably impressed him. But um, anyway, uh, he looked for me in the train all the way back. And he couldn't find me. Anyway, because I took another train. Because it was very convenient to, to go all the way from La Gare de l'Est. You would go to La Gare de l'Est in France, hop on an overnight train, and go all the way to Kublis, get out in Kublis, and voila. You didn't have to fly or get off and get in a taxi. You, know, you just get to Kubis, you get in a taxi and, and zip, zip up to, to Closers. It was very, very convenient. It was a wonderful trip, too. And the trains were beautifully equipped, you know. And, uh, and so anyway. But the apartment where the children were staying at, funny enough, it has a little bit of a story of its own because, well, as I, as I mentioned before, there were very, very famous people living in, in Closters, you know, and uh, 
I don't know if you remember, maybe some of the young listeners of the podcast wouldn't even remember who Greta Garbo was, but Greta Garbo was a very, very famous actress. You know, of course who actually- we all know who Greta Garbo <laughs> is. And if you are listening to this podcast and don't know who Greta Garbo is, please just like make a pause and Google her. Like you need to know who she is. <laughs> Anyway, so Greta Garbo must have got to Closters either because of Fred or because of Peter Fiertel, who, who is married to Deborah Carr, a very famous British actress, you know. Anyway, so, but anyway, she was living in Closters uh, because she had actually retired from the, the cinema at the age of 30-something, I think. I'm not sure. But in the 50s or something like that, she quit the cinema. And then she had to go into hiding because the trouble is when you are a celebrity, you know, people want to know what you're doing, what you're eating, what you're wearing, where you where you live, and they hound you. They hound yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, remember? We, 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 yeah. we went over this topic the other day and we saw that she retired, like, when she was like 30 something, like she couldn't handle yeah, all the press and the paparazzi and everything. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And so she retired and she went into hiding in Closters. And the hiding place that she picked, I think, was actually a place that Fred must have paid all year round because he used it in winter, as I later discovered. <laughs> <laughs> when Fred conquered me. But anyway, that'll, that'll, that'll come later. But she was hiding there for many years, many, many, many years. She would, she would live there. And it's a kind of funny story. I just get it over with it because it was, she, she lived there and she, there was a supermarket, which is where I found Peter Fitto when I arrived in Closers and he directed me to the house where I was cooking. But anyway, it was just over the way. She'd nip across to the supermarket, buy what she needed, and go home. No, and obviously she must have paid cash all the time because they didn't know who she was. You know, you dark glasses, and you know, who knows who that woman is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But one day she she probably ran out of cash or something, and she paid with a check. <laughs> Big mistake if she wanted to be. And she hiding, messed you know? it up. Yeah, yeah, and she, she messed, messed it up. up. She messed up because she paid with a check and they saw it was Greta Garbo. They had to, you know, wait for her to come back and pay again with another check to see exactly which woman it was. But, uh, but you know, the word got out. The word got out and they found her because in summer she would be in closers and in winter, when it was a skiing season, she would flee and she would go to Saint-Tropez, to the arrière-pays of Saint-Tropez with her friend's uh, sister-in-law, had a house in the country there, you know, not in the busy Saint-Tropez, in the, in the backland of Saint-Tropez, which is... Often people had houses there to get away from the crowds, you know? And, uh, and that's where she would spend the winter. Very nice climate, you know, very nice company. And then she would go back for, for summertime in Closters. Anyway, so that was quite funny. And, and of course, we would share the same bed later on because I, would, I became a, a, an intimate friend of Fred's. I replaced the other mistress. <laughs> <laughs> you were the new one. No, I had no idea what was going on, of course. I, you know, you don't know things like that. But anyway, I would find in the, in the little, mm, you know, those funny little glass mirrored things with a little box in the back mm-hmm. in the bathroom. I'd open that and I would find her bottle of Chalimar. She, she, she used to wear Chalimar of Guerlain. <laughs> and it was quite smelly, that perfume. And then she would leave her babouche because she used to wear those Moroccan babouche 
uh, slippers. And she would leave her babouche in the, in the closet. <laughs> Other stuff too, but those are the ones that I could see. You know? mm-hmm. so, anyway, so we shared a bed. I shared a bed with, with Greta Garbo and I shared a room with, with Chanel as well. <laughs> yeah, that's another story. So then after that, I, I ended up going back to live in Paris. And of course, Fred very kindly said, you know, but if you don't like that flat that you have, you've given it up and everything, don't worry, don't, don't look for anything else. I have a very nice flat. I can lend it to you. And so I went there. It was on the, it was, that was in the Quartier Latin. It was very nice. And it was in the back. It was not in the, one of the front uh, apartments. It was in the back. Sort of, you go through a courtyard two flights of steps and there it was, no? And uh, I thought, this is a funny flat for an elegant brand like Fred because it had a blue velvet bedroom, huge bedroom with a big king-sized bed. And the, and the walls were all covered in blue velvet. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, very nice bathroom, a nice kitchen and, and a decent living room. Everything was very decent and very, very nice, but it had this strange, you know, decoration in the bedroom. But anyway, he didn't mind. Why was he going to mind? It was his garçonnier. Garçonnier is the fun place, let's say, or whatever. Usually it's a man who has it and he takes his uh, mistress there, you know, to, to get whatever. Anyway, so this was his garçonnier, obviously. And I was just thinking, actually, that if he lent it to me, <laughs> he didn't have anywhere to go with his mistress. <laughs> but he was obviously planning to catch me somehow. But... It didn't work because as soon as I saw the place, I loved it and everything. And then I said, oh, Fred, please, can I invite my friend Pamela Beardson to come and live here with me? Because she's, she's been going out with this prince, Lubomirsky, and, uh, and you know, she, she needs somewhere to live. And so I would love her to come and stay with me. And he said, oh, but bien sûr, bien sûr, ma petite, ma petite. And so, you know, of course, I, I invited her and she came to stay for six months. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it was very difficult for Fred to... It, oh, it was very difficult. But anyway, he didn't give up. He came and he would take me to the restaurant and bring me back home. And he would take me to the, to the whatever, to the theater and bring me back home. And boy, was he constant there. But another thing that he did was invite me on a trip with his mistress to Brazil, where he had an apartment. He had a penthouse apartment on Ipanema. And of course, on the trip, they tried to pair me off with this other Brazilian guy. Well, good body and everything. But I, I was the kind, not the kind of person you could pair me off with anybody just like that. I mean, I, so I was there for the trip. I was quite happy to be on the trip. You know, everything, first class, jet set, whatever. And a beautiful apartment, small, but two bedrooms, you know, one for him and his, his mistress and the other bedroom for me. I mean, it was amazing. No hanky-panky or anything. No, no, not even a kiss. I mean, it was amazing. And anyway, but we had a wonderful time. And we went to Buzios, for instance, because Daniel Banez, who, who looked after the flat, let's say Fred bought the flat, but he had this friend of his, a French friend, to, he, it was in his name. It wasn't in Fred's name. It was in his name. And Denis would live there all year round and only leave it when Fred would. Quite a convenient setup for him. For both, actually, well, the wonderful penthouse apartment in Ipanema. All expenses covered by Fred, of course. All, all expenses covered by Fred. It was his apartment, so he had to cover the expenses. And and uh, Denis was actually a very, very nice French guy who who liked to to go deep sea fishing. 
you know, he would go put his wetsuit thing and go down there with, with harpoon and stuff. And so he took us to Buzios on this trip. And Buzios isn't what it's become. Buzios was a sort of a peninsula that jutted out with five different bays, none of them with any houses or any kind of nothing but natural civilization. That was all that was there. No people, no humans on it. And only on the, the larger bay that had an island in the front, there were some old fishermen's houses, and Denny had taken one of these little fishermen's houses. And, uh, and that's where he, he always stayed when he went there. And around the corner was another tiny little hotel, and he had taken Brigitte Bardot there. And so the only, like, the only very famous person who had gone to Bozios at that time was Brigitte Bardot because of Denis. Denis Albanese knew her very well. And, uh, of course, I later met her as well. But uh, so we went on this trip to Rio de Janeiro. At the end of the trip, he would always make this amazing feijoada, which is a Brazilian food. And uh, everybody who was anybody would always be invited to these events. And uh, it was always covered by the, by the Brazilian press who, who loved this. Uh, I can't remember the name of this journalist, Saída. But, uh, but he would always cover it. El principe de Orrido Champagnota, Gigorno, Rio de La Feijoada, que no se quede. And of course, this pretty girl, you know, Susie Tyson. So there was I in the press in, in Brazil as well. But anyway, and that, that would repeat itself twice a year because he would go to Brazil twice a year, Fred. Of course, the first time with his proper girlfriend or whatever, and me. And then afterwards, I was the one who took over. I, I didn't take over on purpose or anything. It just happened. You know, it was, I, I was such an in, innocent person. I mean, I, honestly, I, 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 I mean, I had to work out how to get a first kiss. I remember when they jammed the tongue down my throat, I thought, what is this <laughs> I'd only seen kisses, Hollywood kisses on the movies, in the movies, you know. <laughs> I never saw tongue going down anyone's neck. <laughs> so that surprised me. And then, of course, to lose my virginity, I had to get rid of that. I had to just get rid of it because everyone else had done it and everyone, uh, and there was, I was still a virgin. So I got rid of that while I was at the boarding school at, at, at Wakefield. I made sure very good looking, very nice, snazzy guy, fancy guy. He must have thought, wow. Let's get cracking. You invite, he invited me for the weekend several times. And after a while, I thought, well, get rid, get rid of the virginity here. <laughs> so I went out with him. And boy, was he surprised. <laughs> oh, he was very surprised. And actually so surprised that he wanted to go on seeing me and stuff. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't play that game. So I, I had just been sort of very efficiently using him. That's all quite a bit mean on my behalf, but still, that's how I got rid of my virginity. So I was a very innocent person. That's what I mean. Now I'm just telling you these little facts so that you know why. Yeah, I that's how so people can get like the picture. On the next episode, we will still be talking about Fred and how that relationship developed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun because, uh, you know, <clears throat> then I get to meet all the fashion people and stuff. So then we go into stuff like that, which is great fun. So that's it for today. And you guys can subscribe and leave in comments on the Instagram page as well. See you next time or hear you next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. Take care.